0: Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab?
1: Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? Because I don't do it? Be- no, I never girl.
0: Do you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't charge for wasting our time i will take a check with like a old school check. you recognize her from anchoring on cnn cnbc and bloomberg the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to
1: understand the cold lapin
0: it's been a minute since we've had a Changemaker episode on Money Rehab. You remember those, right? We Love to feature changemakers, public figures making change in every sense of the word and along the way have been in or might still be In Money Rehab. I am very excited to bring this segment back for the one of a kind, enormously talented gem of a human, Elaine Welteroth. Elaine is a journalist, writer, activist, and so much more. Her accolades include her former position as the editor in chief of Teen Vogue. At the time, she was the youngest person and the second African American to ever hold this title at a Conde Nast publication, so wow. Her book, More Than Enough, Claiming Space for Who You Are No Matter What They Say, was an instant New York Times bestseller. She just launched an advice column with the Washington Post and she has an amazing masterclass and she's just an incredible human being. So if you're in need of a new role model, Elaine is your gal. Today we're going to be talking about her adorable pandemic stoop wedding, how she hustled to get where she is today, and how her mindset around money has changed along the way. Well, Elaine, I'm so excited to say welcome to Money Rehab. Ah! Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So before we dive in, we have a quick round of money rehab, never have I ever. Never have I ever bought a lottery ticket. Never. Never have I ever taken a mental health day.
1: I would say
0: I have... Me too. Never have I ever bought an NFT. Have not yet. Never have I ever lost a credit card.
1: Oh my God, I lose them weekly. Like, religiously, I lose my credit card. Constantly losing the credit card. I don't know where my credit card is currently. So (laughs) that's my new mom brain reality.
0: All right. I got you on this one. There's no mom brain. Never have I ever been the editor-in-chief of a major publication. She
1: has. She has.
0: She has. Never have I ever
1: split the bill on a first date. Ah! (laughs) I have. And then I have subsequently become uninterested. And then there was no second date. Like I've Same. offered, like that's, 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 that's game. You know, like you really, I really shouldn't have done that. That was in my twenties where like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I feel like an empowered woman where we're equals, like, you don't need to like pay for my food. And then I offer and then they accept and I'm like, wrong move. I didn't know it was the wrong move. And so you just did yeah. that. And no, like we love, we love, I am a modern woman, I'm but out. we love chivalry. Okay.
0: Same. Listen, you don't need somebody to pay for your meal,
1: but you want it. I appreciate it. I enjoy it. Part of me is like, oh, like gender roles are so played. Like, why do I play into it? But you know what? You can take me out, especially the first time, at least the first time.
0: Never have I ever written a New York Times bestseller.
1: She has. She has. Yes. Yeah, she's
0: ready. Must read if anyone hasn't. More than enough claiming space for who you are, no matter what they say. After you wrote that, Elaine, you did an amazing masterclass on designing your career, which is something I'd love to talk about uh, a little bit more. Let's double click if we can. There are so many useful chapters in your class, uh, but I want to zero in. I'm I'm sure you're not shocked on the one a game plan for financial confidence. So in that chapter, you talk about the difference between financial confidence and financial security. Can you define that for our listeners? Yes.
1: Um, And I'm actually proud to say, well, like I was going to be like, oh God, I have to dig into my, the recesses of my mom brain memory. Um, But actually this one is uh, like top of mind. Okay. So here's the thing. I don't believe that financial security is a real thing. I think it's a mirage. I think it's something we've been taught to believe in like Santa Claus, (laughs) but it's not a real thing. And I think a lot of people have had to come to terms with that in the pandemic when, when just the idea of security dissolved before our eyes, just like the idea of that we have control over our lives, like also just dissolved before our eyes. And I think it's, it was a powerful wake-up call for all of us. So I think the thing to invest in is your fina- your sense of financial confidence. What are the things that make you feel more secure? What What are the things that make you feel more confident financially? If Confident in taking a bet on yourself, more confident in taking a leap, more confident in taking risks. What makes you feel more ready? I think it been passed down from our parents to believe that like having a 9 to 5 is a smart thing it's the secure thing to do sometimes you make a lot of a lot more money on a side hustle or a lot more money taking a leap from your 9 to 5 and like doing your own thing and having like five different sources of revenue versus just one but in order to get to that there's a certain amount of like financial confidence that you need to build up in order to take to take that bet on yourself. For me, when I was leaving my quote unquote dream job to take that kind of entrepreneurial leap, I just wanted to know for sure that I had a certain amount of money that was coming in in the foreseeable future. Part of my financial game plan was setting myself up with enough gigs for the first six months. Actually, my goal was to make as much as I was making in my salary job within the first year. But what I realized as I started to set out on this goal of lining up gigs for the first six months was that I was able to exceed my salary in like the first three months. So this is just like ancillary parts of my job that I was doing for free um, that I realized you could be getting paid for. For example, like as an editor-in-chief, I was doing a lot of panels and I didn't realize all the people I was on panels with were collecting checks for those panels. And I was just out here doing it for free to represent, you know, Teen Vogue, to represent the magazine that I worked for. And so I realized when I got my first paid speaking opportunity, like, oh, this is a nice check. So wait, how many more of... So now when I get my next sort of invitation to a panel or to a speaking engagement, I'm going to ask, what's the budget? What's the rate? And then I was able to lock in a number of speaking engagements before I left my job that made me feel confident enough in taking this bet on myself. Yeah, and it's a lot better to get a job when you have a job. So you did it way better than
0: I did. I peaced out from CNBC more than a decade ago, and I just burned my corporate bra, and I was like, I'm out, and then I figured it out. But I think in hindsight, having that stuff lined up would have given me way more financial confidence. At the time. So in the chapter, uh, you also talk about moving from Newark, California, which I grew up in California. I didn't even know there was a Newark, California. Um, Ma'am, you're making $10 an hour. Yes, ma'am. How were you on the financial spectrum then, on the financial confidence spectrum?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always been the same way. I was a hustler. I am a hustler um always going to be a hustler but I just have figured out how to work smarter. So back in the day when I was so backing up a little bit, I graduated from college a semester early accidentally. <laughs> Who does that? I thought I had like a full year left to figure out my life. But when I went into that final semester, I found out like, "Oh, actually I'm graduating in in December." So it lit a fire under my ass and I had to come up with a game plan quick. And so I decided, I knew that the the end game was to move to New York to work for a major magazine. Now, I don't come from a rich family. I have no trust fund to back, to, to back me up. Um, I worked my way through college. I worked two to three jobs at a time during college. Um, so I thought, okay, for my last semester, why don't I just work my ass off, move home with my parents, which, oh my God, it gave me like, it gave me a panic attack and like made me sweat just thinking about that because the idea of being this like failure to launch was looming heavily over me. Like the idea that like, what if I move home and then I, you know, I get stuck there. I get stuck back home and in my routine and like, I never actually make it to New York. Like that would be the greatest failure of my life. Right. But I knew that like, sometimes you have to take a a small step back to take a big leap forward. So for me, that small step back was graduating from college, moving home, and then working two jobs. One of them was a waitressing job. I went to this restaurant called Nola, which is right by Stanford, which is the college that I wanted to go to, but never ended up applying to because I followed my freaking high school boyfriend to college, which is a whole other chapter of my life. And he ended up going to jail and leaving me at the school that I had no intent, like no business being at. So that's like a whole other chapter of my life. But wow. So, so for me, it was again, like it was another really scary thing or like, it just was a humbling thing to be working as a waitress after graduating across the street from like the college that I felt like I was supposed to go to. Um, And now I'm like serving college kids from the college I wish I was at. So like, it was a humbling experience, but um, it got me where I wanted to be. I also got a job off of Craigslist as a front desk receptionist. Then at nights after I left that job, I would drive across the Dumbarton Bridge and go to my waitressing job, change clothes in the bathroom and like get busy and do the whole thing over and over again. So I saved every penny that I made on these two jobs. One was minimum wage plus tips, and one was $10 an hour. I made it work, honey. I made a goal that I wanted to save $10,000 by June 1st. And I was going to take that money with me, whether I was moving to New York uh, and as a, hopefully to get a magazine job or an internship um, that was going to kind of be my cushion. Or my plan B was if I didn't get a job in New York at a magazine, then I would go back to school and get a graduate degree at a top tier school since I missed that opportunity the first time. And I was so lucky that I actually got my plan A, the, the magazine that I wanted to work for, um, that I stalked like insanely um and like even made a video of myself like pitching myself along with like my resume and this magazine that i made to sell myself i was like literally on the cover of the magazine being like i want the job Um, yes and so yeah luckily i got the job i got i mean it was an internship it was ten dollars an hour so um yeah so i moved out there with ten thousand dollars in my bank account and like if i was like you know, celebrating something or feeling like I'm going to splurge today, I would get a, uh, a sandwich like out in the world. I'd buy a sandwich, but then I would split it with my roommate and we would like share the cost of that sandwich. And like, that was a celebration for us. So
0: I love it. I didn't even have a $10 internship. So you were killing the I, right?
1: I mean, you it, were, it, I mean like in a recession, I got to say like getting a gig in New York for $10 yes. an hour back in 2008, like, that was that was that was like nothing to that. at, you know what I mean? I mean, I did all this in the
0: TV space and went to like South Dakota and Lexington, Kentucky and like sort of did that whole game back in the day when YouTube was not a thing. Right, <laughs> Skipping right. those steps wasn't a thing. But yeah, getting it getting a paid internship in New York, but it sounds like you were always a saver. Has that changed? Are you oh. just like a little squirrel like ha- oh hiding all your
1: acorns oh my god that analogy I feel so seen that is exactly who I am inside I am a squirrel that just collects all my little nuts like I it's actually like probably a bit compulsive and probably something I should talk to a therapist about (laughs) because yes I am I am very frugal as I'd like to say she is not cheap she is frugal um but yeah, I mean, my my instinct to save goes back to before I even had money. Like, I remember being a little kid who would go to the grocery store with my mom. And when we got to the checkout aisle, I would ask her if she could buy me gum. <laughs> and then sometimes she said yes. And instead, and I loved gum, I loved gum. And instead of eating that gum, I would go home and put it in my gum collection drawer that I put like stickers all over that said like caution keep out. Oh. <laughs> like do not enter and I just built up this like crazy collection of all the all the different types of gum one could have and I never ate it. Like I just was I don't know what I was saving it for like a you know some some like I don't know apocalypse or something but like People would ask me like, "Oh, can I?" Ha-? And then I would ask other people when when we were out, like in social situations, and people would be chewing gum. I'd be like, "Oh, can I have a piece of gum?" <laughs> As if I and then have- you put it
0: in the little box.
1: No, I would eat their gum, but I would. Also- oh, I see. I would like I would like rip the gum in half, eat some, eat the half, and then put the other half in my pocket to eat later, knowing I had like all this gum at home in my in my gum collection. Um, and then it's so sad because. Actually, the end of my gum collection was quite tragic. Um, I remember in the middle of the night when I was asleep, I heard something going on. I heard like I heard something happening in my drawer, like movement. And I thought I was tripping. Um, And this is how psycho I was. I put a marble in my gum collection drawer so that if anybody opened the drawer, I would see that the marble had moved. Like that's how like OCD and psycho I was. So, um, in the middle of the night, I hear the marble moving and I thought I was going crazy. And then I woke up the next day, I checked my drawer and a mouse had eaten through the back no. door and like eaten all of like eat torn into my gum. So anyway, I had to learn that like, you know what, when you get the things you value, you save some and you enjoy some, like you don't save it all up because if something could happen one day and like an. a a mouse, God forbid, could come and eat all your gum. And then what were you saving it for? And so I think like the life lesson for me is like, I think like that was my first bank essentially. And like gum was my money. And so I have operated similarly with my money now as an adult, like I put away, I, I stash as much as I possibly can, but I do remind myself That like you work and you save for a reason to live, to enjoy the, the things, you know, to enjoy your life and enjoy the things that you value. So I'm, I feel like it, it really not until this very moment, this very stage of my life that I find myself in today, have I put into practice the, like, enjoy the fruits of your labor part i have steadily been saving 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 as if i still make ten dollars an hour even when i was making six figures i think that and you would probably relate to this when you start your career at the beginning of a recession and you see people losing their jobs left and right and there's just no sense of this you know elusive concept of financial security like i i never got to enjoy that i was constantly like financially insecure thinking that I might lose my job. My instinct to save was kind of exacerbated by starting my career at such at such a time in in the world. And I think a lot of young people today probably relate to that because starting your career in a pandemic is very similar, you know, and so you have to you have to treat opportunities like they could go away.
0: Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? Now for some more money rehab. I hear you. I, You know, I, like you, didn't have a trust fund, had a chaotic upbringing, like had to start working super early on, and I always, even to this day, like it doesn't match what's in my bank account, how I feel like the financial trauma is real. It is so, so real. And I remember the brown rice and beans diet because it felt fancier to me at the time than ramen. And I'm like, I'm never, never going back there. But I think there's a balance between I'm going to die tomorrow and I'm going to live forever. There has to be that sweet spot. And and you wrote this beautiful post when you got this sweet, sweet Ride, you got you splurged on this awesome car, and you wrote so beautifully, like how much this meant to you as a splurge because you don't do it a lot. And so, never h- that is a huge evolution, it sounds like, for you. How'd you get to that point? It
1: is. I mean, in part, I think it was a midlife, a pre midlife crisis, to be honest, because what I didn't say in that post is that I had recently found out that I was pregnant. and. I I was just kind of like, I don't know. I was going through this semi crisis where I was like the semi identity crisis where I was like, what are the things that I never got to do? And like, what are the things that I won't be able to do potentially once I have a baby? And so you know knowing how how much of a saver i am i could only imagine how much more frugal i'll be when i have a baby and like i will i won't feel entitled to spend my money on frivolous things um because i will think like that could go to his college you know say, you know investment account or whatever um and so i feel like it was kind of like my last like moment to be a little selfish and, and, and like to just enjoy the fruits of my labor and spend the damn money, spend the damn, spend the money on the thing that will bring you joy. You can do it. You are not making $10 an hour anymore, sis, like, you know, like, like splurge it's okay. And so growing up, um, Uh, you know, I, I came from kind of a a humble background. We were not poor, but we certainly didn't live like a glamorous life, you know? And, and I had one glamorous auntie that I just thought was just so cool. She owned her own business. She'd go on these elaborate trips. She had all this cool product, like beauty product at her house and her houses were always like really impeccably designed. And I think she became like, my my role model for the kind of woman i wanted to be like i and so she had this this vintage mercedes that she would take me like on on rides in with the top down and i just felt so fancy so glamorous and i just wanted to be like her so i found myself in this moment like like i am that girl i am, i can be that girl now like you know what i mean i've worked really hard so I just decided I'm going to get that car. And I went on this hunt and I, I haggled and I ended up probably overpaying for this car, but it, it was still worth it to me. Like I, I just wanted those moments before I had the baby, just me out here in these streets, wind blowing in my hair, you know, and I, it's so funny. The fourth time I drove that car, it broke down and Here I am like trying to floss in my fancy new vintage Mercedes. It's the same year I was born, which is another meaningful aspect to it. But I picked up my girlfriends and we went to the um, we went to a concert at at the Hollywood Bowl. And literally, as we are driving up to VIP valet, the car starts. Oh, my God. It's like billowing like smoke yeah. everywhere and like everyone in line was like what the hell is going on over what is happening is that car about to blow up and the valet guy wouldn't even park my car he was like yeah I'm not touching your the car there's <laughs> seriously there's obviously something's going on and I'm like oh no and he's like you can pull it over there but you have to call the tow truck so like literally it, it my biggest flex turned into like my biggest like most embarrassing moment. Um I ended up like waiting until like 1 a.m for the tow truck to come. So anyway Um, all that glitters ain't gold, but I, I am still glad I invested in that car because really marks this moment in my life where I am finally allowing myself to invest in things that bring joy and, um, and, and trusting in the abundance of kind of of our lives. Like I'm not holding on as tightly as I used to. So I feel good. Like I graduated from a scarcity mentality to uh, a, a, a mentality and a spirit of abundance.
0: I love that. And when you see her, I'm assuming it's her. I hope you're proud of yourself. I am. I am. Good. Good myself. I am. I love it. So recently you also bought a house. I did. I read in Architectural Digest about how adjusting your wedding budget for your stoop COVID wedding that was the cutest wedding from the pictures, uh, you definitely are all about couples goals allowed you to grow into this home ownership nest egg. So if we could wave a magic wand and go back to your wedding planning and erase COVID,
1: would you change anything or would you keep your wedding size? Honestly, I wouldn't have changed a single thing. I guess the only thing would have been I would have loved to have my parents there and maybe, you know, my best friends, but they were there. Like everyone that attended my Zoom wedding, air quotes, felt the love. They felt like they were there. Like I mean, we had our wedding in the middle of the probably scariest part of the pandemic before there were vaccines, before there were even tests available, readily available, and people just were so starved, you know, of joy. And I feel like by us creating this like really special online moment for people to participate in. Like we gave it, we, we had an entire people like took that seat to heart. And honestly, the emotion carried through, it carried us through and it carried everyone through like a really kind of depressing moment. And it, and it, it crystallized that that, that's what makes the best wedding. It's the emotion. It's the, it's the connection that you have with your community. And you don't need like, a fancy five course meal and spread. And, you know, this elaborate location or destination to make people feel the sentiment of like your love. Like, like it started out with Jonathan getting on the the Zoom when he saw all of the faces of people that we've loved, we both love, it was so overwhelming for him that he couldn't even speak. He just started crying and everybody started crying with him. Uh, and it was the most special thing ever. I wouldn't have had it another way. I don't think like the big fancy wedding we were planning that uh, would have been crazy expensive would have been, it wouldn't have even touched what we actually did. So except again, for the fact that I wish our parents were there, but um, we could have bought a house either way. We were going to probably buy a house within that first year, either way we could have afforded it, but Going back to the beginning of our conversation, it's about financial confidence. Like another person could have looked at how much we had in our financial reserve and said like, you guys could have bought a house like years ago. That amount was not, it it didn't equate to the kind of financial confidence that made me feel good about making that investment at that time. So for me, the level of financial confidence that I went into home ownership with was like (sighs) through the roof, Because I saved all this money on the wedding. It made me feel so much better about entering the housing market. And I felt extra confident because I saved so much money uh, on the wedding thing by just going ahead and having like a beautiful wedding on our stoop in Brooklyn. And the only thing I invested in are flowers and an excellent videographer and photographer. With those three elements, you could make a wedding look like the biggest, fanciest, like most special event, literally anywhere. So that was my takeaway. And I share that with anybody out there who's like stressing out about their wedding. It's not worth it. Just get great flowers, get a great videographer and photographer. And you will always look back on that day, look at through those, through the lens of the pictures and be like, we did that.
0: I love that. I'm going to take that Advice for myself. I'm recently engaged and I don't even want a wedding because I'm like, no, I want to put this in a house or I want to put this in something else. I listen, I told a woman who came on the show for an intervention to cancel her wedding
1: because she could not afford it and she should buy a house instead. I'm with you. Listen, your house is going to make so much more money for you than your wedding will. Your wedding is a loss, it's a big old L. So spend whatever you need to spend to feel good about it. But like, it's one day. And in the end, it's gonna be a memory. It's the memories that are gonna matter the most. You and I are on the same page. Like invest, invest in the thing, invest in a house. Invest in in put your money in investments. Put your money in places where it will grow and have dividends. I'm totally over it. What has surprised you financially about owning a home now? That it's also a money pit. <laughs> what has surprised me about home ownership is that like, you will never stop investing in the house. Oh my God. There's always something. It's like, we have to have like, now we realize like living in the Hollywood Hills sounds super glamorous until you realize that means you literally built a house on an ant farm, like on an, on an ant hill. So like, You In the summertime, you have a crazy ant problem. So you have to have the ant guy come. You know, it's just like one thing after another. You're always dishing out money to maintain the house, to maintain the property. So I just think that when you're looking for a home, you should account for maintenance costs, which I don't think we talk about enough. And I don't think realtors prioritize... I don't think realtors prepare first-time homebuyers for the maintenance.
0: Yeah. Because you can't just call the landlord or the super, like you look in the mirror and that's on you. Exactly. You're your own
1: landlord. Exactly. And that shit is expensive. That shit is expensive. (laughs) I mean, the toilet, this and that, the pipes, like there's always something. So I think that when you're buying a house, you should literally out allocate, um, like a lot more than you think to maintaining the property and maintain and like, dealing with repairs as they come up because they're always going to come up. So I would say buy a house that's a little bit below your budget and and allocate like a significant amount of, of your budget to just like maintaining the house. And, and each year, squirrel it away. Squirrel it away. Yes, exactly.
0: For today's tip, you can take straight to the bank. You can and should give yourself financial indulgences now and again. Of course, like Elaine, you need to be thoughtful and realistic about your splurge. Maybe it's your dream car, or maybe it's just taking yourself out to lunch. A financial indulgence here and there that's accounted for in your spending plan is healthy, and it prevents you from financial withholding or binging behavior later on.